Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. It's good to see all of you tonight. I am not Pastor Eric. They say you start looking alike after a lot of years of marriage, but we haven't gotten that far. Thank God. For him or me, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to say thank God. Um, is there anybody in the house who is a scholar on the book of Zechariah? Anybody at all? No? Good, good, good. Just making sure. Um, so tonight we continue our Route 66 uh, series, and we are in the book of Zechariah. That is right before the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi. So we have one more book in the Old Testament, and then we get to jump in the New. And we'll probably be a little bit more familiar with those books. It's been exciting learning about books in the Bible that I would probably actually never study outside of uh, this, this series. So it's been a good experience to learn a little bit about each book. So hopefully by the end of tonight, you'll know a little bit more about the book of Zechariah than you did before you came. Um, the book of Zechariah was written against the background of rebuilding the temple of Jerusalem. In, uh, let me make sure I get my date right. In 536 B.C., there was a um, remnant of Israel, of Israel that was led by Zerubbabel and Joshua that had returned from Babylonian captivity for this purpose, to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And they started just that. And I say started because they came back to Jerusalem and they started rebuilding the temple and they got the altar built and they started on the temple, but then things got tough. They were faced with opposition from their enemies and they were faced with apathy. They gave in to apathy. And how, let, me, let me just say that apathy can be one of the enemy's greatest tools with Christians. Amen? Has it, have any of you ever given in apathy? Um, so not only were they facing opposition from their enemies who didn't want to see them rebuild the temple, they got it partially rebuilt, and they said, well, I mean, we've got this much done. We're good for now, and who knows? They may have just taken a break, and a break led into giving up. Um, apathy's sneaky. If you're not vigilant and stay aware of it, it can creep you in, creep in your life and rob you of the fullness of what God's wanting to do in your life. Um, years ago, some of you remember, if you've been with us long enough, and for those of you who weren't here, I'll recap. The rest of us will walk down memory lane a little bit. But years ago, this church met in a storefront in downtown McKinney. And it was a great storefront, but some things, it was an older building, and a lot of things started going wrong. And we had two buildings actually down there. And um, as the building started to deteriorate, we faced the, uh, the daunting task of trying to rebuild those buildings with a historical society that was against us. We had a lot of things, a lot, lots of issues, like a grandfathered-in sprinkler system that we would have had to totally gut and redo if we had done anything to the building, just things like that. The building had its limitations, and so we decided that we would purchase land and build a new church building. It sounded like a great idea, and it was a great idea. And so we purchased the land, and we moved into a transitional period um, so that we could eventually make it into our new, shiny church home. And 
we, um, so we sold the building that we were in, and we thought, well, we just need a transition period, which we decided to go through the public school system and be a mobile church for several years. So every Sunday, we had a faithful team of volunteers. I know some of y'all that lived through this, it's, it's like, oh, man, I remember that. But we had a faithful team of volunteers who came in and set up a couple of hours before service. We'd set up church in the, in the schools, and we'd have service, and then we'd come and we'd tear everything down. We set up a bookstore, we set up a coffee shop, we set up a nursery, we set up kids' church, we set up everything that you need to have church. And it was great. There was a lot of camaraderie that took place during that time. There were some great things about that season, but let me tell you, it got tire, tiring. In that process... Um, well, the downturn of the economy happened, for one, and so this piece of property that we wanted to build on, well, it was going to be hard to build a church out in the middle of a field where there was no sewage or electricity available to us because all of the projected growth of the city that was supposed to be around that piece of land stopped, just came to a halt. The second issue was that the person who bought the building from us actually never paid us and went bankrupt, leaving us empty-handed where the building is concerned. I'm telling you all this for a reason, I promise. I'm not just trying to, I mean, you can hand each other a tissue, but I, I'm really not trying to just conjure up tears. So, so we're, we're mobile, and it doesn't look like we're going to be able to build on our, our land anytime soon. So after that, we kind of reached a a point of desperation to get into a building that was not mobile, a building that we could at least hang out in until we could build our building on our land. So um, I'm going to refer this to this as the Ishmael building. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can get the rest of the leadership at the time to agree, but it felt a little bit like an Ishmael experience. We found this building, and we go into all this reconstruction that has to be done on this building. Mind you that we don't own, but it has to be done in order for us to conduct church in this building. We needed children's church area. We needed a nursery area. Thank God we have such talented men and women in this church who did plumbing and did, you know, we built walls. We did all kinds of stuff to this building. And on top of all of that, this building that we were in had a broken AC and it was the middle of the summer. So we, um, we were meeting. I, yeah, we would have to stand and watch everyone's faces knowing that they had sweat dripping down their backs as we had service and just try to make it as painless as possible so that they could go home and get in the AC. It was so bad. The kids workers, the nursery, you can just imagine with no AC in the middle of the summer what that was like. But we kept having promises that the AC was going to be fixed in the next day or two. So the Ishmael building didn't work out so great either. And one day, Pastor John approached me and Eric and said, I think I found a place. And we partly wanted to hurt him, and we were partly curious just to see if there was something better. But we had, we had poured money into this other one, and it's, you know, just a long story. And so he brought us here. And this looked like the promised land. We came in. There were chairs set up. There was a sound system. There was a stage. Everything, I mean, we had a kid's church. We had nursery. We had everything set up to have church. And it was going to, we were going to be able to lock the door, walk away, and come back, and it was going to be set up for the next service. I mean, it was like 
miracle, but it was how do we get out of the lease we just signed, and what do we do to get into this? And we just started to pray. We just said, Lord, this, this isn't working. You have something better for us, and we, we want to give something better to our people, and please help us. If this is it, please help us. And so we just started to pray. Me and Eric and Pastor John just walked around this property and looked at it and prayed and looked at it and prayed and just hoped at that moment that God would speak to us as to what to do, but he didn't. So we went back to um, our original, the, the landlord of the Ishmael building, and he started kind of backtracking on fixing the AC. Well, lo and behold, we were able to get out of that contract because of the, um, the AC issue. So we come in here, and I remember thinking the first time that we brought a bunch of our leadership here and they were just looking at it, and you know, this is like Christmas morning to us because we have been through several years of just difficult situations. <laughs> and I remember standing back by that sound booth with a, a young guy that went to our church and we, we had a discussion that went like this. Would it be awkward if we brought sleeping bags and just slept in here tonight? I just don't want to leave. I don't want to go home. We were just so in awe of this perfect building. And so, uh, lo and behold, the Lord made it possible, and we started having church in, the, in here. And we have ha been here almost six years now, and this building has been a blessing. But I noticed some time ago that I had let apathy creep in where this building was concerned. I had started to um, settle even though I knew that God wanted us to build a building for this church at some point. But we got in this building, and we started getting comfortable. And I realized it one day when it was a rainy day, and we, I walked in, and it was like the Lord reopened my eyes to the issues that we have here. And I'm not saying I'm not still grateful for this building, because I am. Thank God for it all the time. But I look at the parking lot, and I think, Lord, this isn't all you have for us. I look at our nursery where at Seasons we have babies on top of babies in there. And I think, Lord, this isn't all you have for us. And I watch the people take their kids back to kids' church through the rocks and ladies almost twist their ankles with their heels on in the parking lot. And I say, Lord, this isn't all you have for us. And I let my contentment, because I was so grateful that God provided this, I let it turn to apathy. And when I recognized that, I determined at that moment, Lord, I'm not going to stop here. This isn't what you called me and Eric to build. This isn't the final product, and I, I'm committing to you to look forward and to continue to build in our lives. And so this is what happened to the Israelites in that area is they just grew apathetic, and, and the enemy was able to come in and steal from them the final product of the temple because they gave up. Um, I just want to encourage you, don't settle for less than what God's called you to do. Don't settle for less than the completion of what God's called you to do. Don't settle for less than the completion of the work that you're praying for in your children or in your relationship or in your finances or in your job. Don't settle for less than what you know God wants you to have in that situation. Amen? So for 16 years, they sat. The temple sat. No further progress was made. And then God raised up two prophets. He raised up Haggai, which you learned about last week, and Zechariah. He sent Haggai and Zechariah to Jerusalem. And he sent them to, with a word, 
Zechariah was a prophet, and God sent Zechariah with a word to go back to Jerusalem and call the people to rebuild the temple again, to again get started on rebuilding the temple. And so Zechariah went, and in the beginning, his prophetic ministry was filled with some rebuke, which, let's be honest, they needed it. But the larger part of the book of Zechariah is, is encouraging and, they, and inspiring to Israel um, and, and letting them know about the coming kingdom and where God would come in and fight for them and scatter their enemies and gather his people again as one nation. And so through um, a series of visions, which if you have a chance, go, go through the book of Ze- Zechariah, the first six chapters, I believe, there's some visions that God gives Zechariah to share with the people, and they're very interesting in the way that God conveys things. And it just, to me, it brought to life some of the things that God's shown me in weird ways and, and how these visions were translated into um, pictures that God was showing the people to encourage them. It was just interesting to me uh, to, to compare against visions that I've had before. But, um, but he's confirming through these visions that he's with them, and he's revealing the coming Messiah to encourage the people, you're not done here. We're rebuilding a temple here. Don't stop until it's done. But Zechariah's challenge for his contemporaries is also a challenge for us. Continue building and restoring the temple of God personally and corporately. Because we're build, you're building something in your own life, but we're also building something here together. And I want to just say, don't give up. Don't stop. Stay, stay vigilant over the things that are happening in your own life and here. Because the truth is, we're all in this together. But it's not, it's not for the sake of building a great church building or having something exciting going on here. It's for the glory of God and for the Holy Spirit to move, not only in the people that come in here, but in the generations to come. We're building something that's going to be lasting. And so we have to stay vigilant and don't grow apathetic and certainly don't let the enemy come in and snuff out what we're doing. Zechariah 4.6 says, this is probably the most known um, scripture in the book of Zechariah, at least it was to be, but the latter part of that scripture says, not by power, nor my, <clears throat> sorry, not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The results that come when we commit to building his house are, aren't the result of the human ingenuity or the efforts that we put together, our own abilities, but the, they're the results of the renewing, restoring ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we do this. We continue to build, paving the way for the Spirit to move in the lives of others. Zechariah was able to see the temple become completed. He was able to encourage the people, the Israelites, to build again. And it was just a short time later that they completed the temple and were able to celebrate it. Um, However, we read in Matthew 23 in verses 34 through 35 how Zechariah's life came to an end. And this is just a, just a uh, brief conclusion of what happened to Zechariah. Matthew 23, yes. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, this is Jesus talking, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who you murdered between the temple and the altar. 
And I couldn't find anything in the scripture that said why Zechariah was murdered by his very own people there between the altar and the temple that he went to encourage them to build. And if you happen to know anything on that, please let me in. But, but that's how his life came to an end, nevertheless, is he was killed right there in Jerusalem by his own people. Um, let's move on to our, our, our map. Our first... Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with our Route 66 series, Pastor Eric does what he calls a map, and it's three points in every book that he points out. He pulls out a memento, something for you to take home with you, uh, and then he, he brings an attraction, something for you to see, and then he also finds the person of Jesus in each book of the Bible. So we're going to start now with our map, and our first one is our memento. And the memento is found in Zechariah 9.12. Zechariah 9.12 says, Return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. When you decide to be imprisoned in hope, there's nothing that you face that will keep you from experiencing God's restoration power in your life. Lock yourself in that gel cell of hope and refuse to go out. Because the truth is, faith is the sub substance of things hoped for. I thought Pastor Nathan was going to preach my sermon earlier when he gave that word. I thought, Lord, if you're going to give him my whole sermon in his word, then why am I getting up to preach? But faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is now, and hope is the future. Without, without hope, you won't have faith. What do you have faith for if you have no hope for in the future? Faith is proof, actually, that you have hope. So just decide right now, just even if you have to close your eyes and envision yourself doing it, shutting the jail cell of hope and just throw the key as far as you can. If you can't throw very far, hand the key to your neighbor and let them throw it. But stay in the jail cell of hope. Lock yourself in and refuse to come out because without hope, you won't have faith that God can do anything in your life. You have to be able to hope. I got taught this lesson from a lady several years ago that I met. Eric and I were um, pastoring in Garland, and there was a woman there that had had been trying to have a baby for a really long time. She had been through a lot. I came in kind of on the last few years of it, but for 12 years, this woman had tried to have a baby. And one day, I'm trying to encourage her, and I'm telling her, you know, God gives you the desires of your heart, and I'm just, you know, the best pastor's wife encouragement I could come up with because I'm just thinking I, I can't identify with that I mean I was getting pregnant left and right right after I got married it felt like so you know Jessica you know what that's like so I couldn't identify with what it felt like to want a baby so badly and not be able to have one and I just wanted to encourage her and I wanted so badly to see her have a baby and one day I said something um that I thought was pretty encouraging to her about getting pregnant. And she said, oh, I know I'm, I'm going to have one because God put this hope in my heart. And I thought, wow. And I left there thinking, why did that statement hit me so profoundly? And when I started looking up, the hope that she had created this faith in her now because she hoped so strongly for her future looking different. And that inspired me that she had let her hope grow so much that the faith that she had now was huge for that baby she hoped for. And so it, it just encouraged me to stay hopeful because without hope, your faith won't grow. So keep that hope alive. Don't let yourself give up. 
Okay, let's move on to our attraction. Ooh. Donna took up all, all the sermon time during worship. No, that was so good. That was really good. Let's face it, Nathan's not going to cut it short, so we're good. <laughs> Y'all can tell him I said that. He does know. All right, our attraction. Let's move on to our attraction. And our attraction in the book of Zechariah is um, the coming kingdom. In Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 9, and this is a lot of scripture, but just walk with me. Hopefully you're getting a little more familiar with the book of Zechariah and who Zechariah as a prophet was. Um, Zechariah 14.1 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Now these are... These are verses that are talking about the time of tribulation. And during the tribulation, you as a believer will not be here. You will be in the sky with Jesus, and I'll show you how we know that in just a minute. Um, so this is just before the return of Christ. Verse, where am I? Verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain, through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. That means you're coming back with Jesus. So you're going to be with him. Don't worry about being here during tribulation. You will not if your faith is in Jesus. Verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. <clears throat> and in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be. The Lord is one and his name one. This is where Jesus will be seated on the throne of David as the king to reign forever. And so that, that all takes place in Zechariah chapter 14. Now the person of Jesus. There's many points in Zechariah where it reflects Jesus through parallels, but I wanted to point out the places where it specifically is a prophecy that then we see the fulfillment in the prophecy later in the scriptures. Let's start with... Um, in where am I? Zechariah 9 9. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
in John 12, 12 through 15. It speaks of the triumphal entry. It says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Verse 15, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, mind you, Jesus had not come yet when, that, when the prophecy had happened in Zechariah. Here's another prophecy. Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In John 19, 34 through 37, here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. It says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him who they pierced. So there was the fulfillment of the prophecy that happened in Zechariah 12.10. And one more, the prophecy in Zechariah 13.7. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And then the fulfillment is in Matthew 26, verse 31, where Jesus is predicting Peter's denial, and he says, Jesus said to him, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So we see the evidence of Jesus and the person of Jesus in those verses in Zechariah. And I'm going to stop right there. I hope that you learned a little bit more about the book of Zechariah. But I'd like for all of you to stand. I just want to encourage you tonight. I've felt the Lord put this word on my heart, this whole service. And the word is restoration. And I think that there are some things that God's wanting to restore in the lives of some of you. And so for just a minute, if you'll just close your eyes and just, if you're not, if you're not real sure what that is right at this moment, maybe the Lord can show you as you have your eyes closed. And I just want to say, Lord, I thank you for these, your people here tonight. And I thank you for the power of restoration that resides in your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that as they leave here tonight, whatever it is, whatever area that they need restoration in, whether it be in their body, in their hearts, Lord, Father, I thank you that you came to heal the brokenhearted. I thank you, Lord, that you are restoring things back to your people, not back to the way that they were, but back to the way that you would have them be, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that when you restore, it's better than we can expect. And Father, I thank you for that now. I thank you for restoration in relationships, restoration in marriages. Lord, I thank you for restoration in, in financial situations, restoration uh, in situations where your people have been done wrong. I thank you, Lord, that you would restore back to them the things that they had lost. Lord, I thank you that you will restore back the things that they were lost through uh, through means outside their control, but also the things that they lost through decisions that they made. Lord, I thank you that you're so good you do even that for us, Lord. Father, I thank you that you restore relationships even when we were the one in the wrong. I thank you, Father, for the power of your restoration. Thank you, Lord. We open up these situations to you and we, we welcome your spirit. 
to restore like only you can. And Father, I call your people to have the endurance to keep building, Lord, to keep building in their own lives and to keep building here in this house, Lord. And we just thank you that as we build your house, you'll build our house, Lord. I thank you, Father, that as we come here and we serve and we we make a place where others can come and experience your goodness, Lord, that you are, you are adding to our lives continually. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you that you're so good and so faithful. And now I just pray over all of these people that they would make it home safe tonight, that they would have a peaceful evening with, uh, with their loved ones, Lord, that they would go home and they would have peaceful sleep tonight. And those that need to receive your peace would, would do so tonight and that they would never walk another day without your peace. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.